0: I grew up in what some might call a dungeon. I'm on a roll this morning, guys. Some of you are wondering what I'm talking about. Others of you think I'm crazy. The rest of you have been to men's retreat in Thomas, right? You've seen the basement in my parents' farmhouse. Let me do my best to describe it for everyone else, okay? If I had to guess, I would say it's about eight foot by 12 foot, you know, the, the, the floor plan. It's under seven foot ceilings because I'm 5'8 and I can touch it easily, okay? There is a water heater located in the room. And I don't mean a closet in the room. The water heater is in the room, okay? There used to be a bathroom directly above the room. And so the pipes that come in, they're eye level. So you're staring at the pipes coming from the toilet. And so I was constantly reminded that I lived below a bathroom every time someone would flush upstairs and I would hear a whoosh every single time. It was regularly visited by crickets, spiders, and mice. Now, I did not always live down there. I used to live in a mansion upstairs, the 12-foot by 15-foot massive bedroom with eight-foot ceilings. It came equipped with a ceiling fan and a regular-sized window. It was unbelievable. Now, I moved downstairs not long after my dad got remarried. I would have been in about junior high at the time, My stepsister moved into the house and into the basement, which I refer to as the dungeon. She was repeatedly disgusted by the constant cycle of bugs and mice and all of these things, and so she couldn't take it anymore. So my parents approached me, and they did what every good set of parents do whenever they want you to do something that you don't want to do. They bribed me. Now, our small town was beginning to offer dial-up internet, okay? Dial-up internet. My dad offered me my very own brand-new used laptop computer, and the fastest dial-up internet Western Oklahoma offered. Blazing speed. I could connect in like four minutes, guys. It was awesome. It would be connected to our house and to my room only. That cord, it was a cord. You guys seen cords? You know what cords are? It was directly, (laughs) came right into my room. It plugged right into my computer. And it was awesome for like three months, okay? That was when they decided to get a brand new desktop computer and place it upstairs for everyone to have access to. It was significantly faster than the computer I had, and here's the kicker. Every time they logged on, it kicked me off, including my sister who stole my mansion room. So I took the dungeon and this deal and never had access to the blazing speed dial-up internet that I thought I was taking. And so now you can imagine why counseling was so helpful for me this summer. <laughs> Many of you in here, if you're around my age or older, you remember dial-up internet. The rest of you, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but you remember, you remember the sound that it made as it was trying to connect that, you know, you know, like it's etched in your mind and you know what it sounds like. What once seemed like groundbreaking technology, and it certainly was at the time, would frustrate us so much today. If we tried to log on with dial-up today, we would throw up our hands and say, why is this taking so long? I'm out. Like we would go do something else because we are so impatient. If I told you what we would be able to do on a phone today back then, you would not believe me. And yet, here we are. This morning, we find ourselves in the middle of a Sermon series on anxiety, and today, as was mentioned last Sunday, we're going to look at the correlation between our anxiety and technology, specifically smartphones and social media. We're going to look at our culture's addiction to the smartphone, how it relates to anxiety, and how we can respond as people who are committed to Jesus in the smartphone age. Now, I'm gonna, like, right from right here, moving forward, I need you to hear one huge caveat. I have never wanted to give a sermon less than this one today. I've done funerals. I've, done, I've preached a lot of sermons that I felt uncomfortable with. Never more than this morning. I need you to hear that. Not only do I know that many of you struggle with this very issue. I was talking this morning with a couple of you. I'm not gonna name names. And the screen time thing popped up. Does it pop up every Sunday for you guys? It popped up and they said, oh, I'm at six hours. And I was like, oh, that's great. For the week? Like, no, per day. And someone else chimed in and said, I'm at 10 hours per day, but I use it a lot for work. But this is, this, this is I'm not going to name names because this is true of a lot of us, right? Like this, this is what we do. I, I just need you to hear that I know you struggle with it, but so do I. Rather than risking being called a hypocrite by you all this morning, I'll save you the time and say, I know, I know, I am. And so weekly we get up here and we exhort you guys from the scriptures and we say this is how we ought to live and there's always part of us that, are, that realize our humanness, our fallenness and our weakness. I've just gotta say that that is amplified for me this morning because I feel that this is a very weak spot for me. But what got me up here this morning is the reality uh, is that I believe it's worth it for us to fight against this, I believe that Jesus is alive And I believe he wants us to live a more full life than many of us are living today. So take this morning, here moving forward, from a poor beggar just trying to show the rest of you poor beggars where the bread is, okay? Tony Reinke has a helpful book called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. I want to begin with a quote in that book that he shared from an interaction he had with Oliver O'Donovan, who's now a 78-year-old Christian ethicist from Scotland, He says this in relation to media in general, but it also applies to social media specifically, the allure of smartphones, and all of technology in general. So here's the quote. There is a current in the stream, and if we don't know how to swim, we shall be carried by it. I see someone doing something, and I want to do it too. Then I forget whatever it was that I thought I wanted to do. So let's talk about that current that we are swimming in. In 2013, 35% of U.S. adults owned a smartphone. As of 2021, 97% of the people in the U.S. own a cell phone, 85% of those are smartphones. The age breakdown goes like this. If you're 65 and older, 61% of that demographic owns a smartphone. Between 50 and 64, it spikes quite a bit. It goes to 83%. And for the rest of us, which is most of us in the room, ages 18 through 49... Between 95 and 96% of us own a smartphone. If I had to guess, I would probably guess that everyone in here in that age range owns a smartphone. The higher your earned income, the more likely you are to own one. We love our smartphones. How do I know we love them? Because we check them 81,500 times every year. That comes out to once every 4.3 minutes. In, in the book that I just referenced, Reinke surveyed professing Christians for his book, and he said that 54% of them admitted to checking their phone within minutes of waking up. 73% said they're more likely to check email or social media before any type of spiritual disciplines like Bible reading or prayer. The average college student spends 20% of class time tinkering on a digital device doing something unrelated to class. Not 20% of college students do that. The average student spends 20% of class time doing something unrelated to class. I want us all to think about it for a moment. I know I'm pinning y'all against the wall. <laughs> I've been doing this for three weeks to myself, so I, I I get where you're at. Think about how often do you instinctually enter a room, grab a seat, and pull out your phone? It's just it's just natural, isn't it, for a lot of us. How about when you go to the bathroom? When was the last time you went to the bathroom without your phone? Don't answer that out loud, please. Uh, When you watch a game, you pull out your phone. You follow along on Twitter now or you check other scores, right? How about when you pull up at a stoplight? When you get home from work? Whatever. We, We naturally just pull out our phone and we just do whatever it is we do on our phones. How often do you feel a fake buzz in your pocket? Sometimes when your phone is not even in there. How creepy is that, right? What about that panic you feel when you go somewhere and you're like, oh shoot, I forgot my phone? Or like, what about if you think you lost your phone, you don't realize where it's at? Or worse, your phone screen cracked. Then you gotta go get a new phone. Can't use it for days, right? A panic comes over you, right? As of 2012, "fubbing" became a word. If it sounds like I'm cussing at you, it it kind of sounds, it does sound like that, doesn't it? It's phone snubbing smashed together so they didn't work real hard. It's defined as the act of snubbing someone in a social setting by looking at your phone instead of paying attention to them. We're substituting real life flesh and blood for pixels on our screen. Now imagine most of us have been guilty of this. How does it make you feel when you're having a conversation with someone, and man, I have done this so many times, I'm going to say publicly, I apologize to every one of you. I I know I've done this to you. How many times are you talking to someone and they pull out their phone and they say, hey, can can you hold on a second? And they just start tinkering around and you think that they're still listening probably, so you keep talking your conversation. They say, okay, now what was that? And you've got to repeat everything. Like that's, that's pretty frustrating, isn't it? Parents, how often do your children observe you staring into your tiny screens rather than into their eyes? Let's talk about social media. A phenomenon that began barely over 20 years ago. Five billion people globally are on some form of social media. Five billion. The average user is on 6.5 different platforms every month. We like to make fun of Facebook, I know we do. The largest platform is Facebook with three billion users. 91% of all people in the U.S. are on social media. That comes out to 302 million users. 180 million of those are on Facebook alone. In 2012, the average person was on social media for an hour and a half per day. Today, the average person is on social media for two and a half hours every day. Over the course of 73 years, which is the average lifespan for a male, women, congratulations, you live six years longer than us. Over the course of 73 years, two and a half hours of social media per day equates to 5.7 years of our lives on social media. We are almost never not connected. We are nearly always on the grid, and it's so easy to understand why. It's easy to understand our impulses because everything is there, right? We go from checking emails to posting a picture of ourselves on Instagram to looking up uh, recipes on Pinterest to ordering groceries that will likely be delivered within just a few hours to watching cat videos. We love the cat videos, right? I hate cats, but I love those cat videos. To reading our Bibles, to making an actual phone call. But hold on, let's text them first to see if it's okay to call. What weird etiquette we have adjusted to, right? Everything, everything is there. And we're learning, we're just starting to learn that these practices are incredibly harmful for our mental health. 39% of US users admit that there is an addictive pull to social media. Only 9% fully admit that I am addicted if what I just shared was true, if the average person spends two and a half hours on social media a day, then the average person in this survey is a liar. It is addictive. It draws us back. Earlier this year, the U.S. National Library of Medicine published a study on the relationship between anxiety and depression with smartphone addiction amongst college students. Here are some of the things they found. First, the definition of smartphone addiction, according to them is a new type of behavioral addiction caused by overdependence and abuse of smartphones resulting in psychological and behavioral problems. In this study, 46% of smartphone users said they could not live without their smartphones. They couldn't do it. I applaud them for admitting that. I think the numbers should be higher. What I expected to find when I began studying for this morning is that our phones initia- initiate our anxiety. That's what I expected to find. And that is true, and I'm gonna to get to that in just a moment, but what I first found is that we first become anxious a lot of the time, and then we run to our phones. So here's a quote from this study that I, that I just quoted. Mounting studies yielded insights into the relationship between negative emotions and smartphone addiction, especially anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression give rise to smartphone addiction because it's a coping strategy to seek pleasure. The motivation for internet use is based on unmet real-life needs or psychological imbalance. In our study, individuals with anxiety and depression may suffer negative emotions in the real world, which leads to compensatory behavior, causing them to seek relief in the virtual world and increasing the possibility of smartphone addiction. Meanwhile, the smartphone addiction is driven by maintaining the relationship and seeking reassurance. Individuals with anxiety or depression are prone to have this tendency. So first it's true that we can become anxious and then we run to our phones to satisfy our anxiety. But then what happens? The opposite is also true. According to Dr. Nancy Cheever, who's a leader in research on the relationship between cell phone use and anxiety out of Cal State University, she's quoted as this from her findings. The more people use their phone, the more anxious they are about using their phone. Cheever's research suggests that phone-induced anxiety operates on a positive feedback loop, saying that phones keep us in a persistent state of anxiety. And the only relief from this anxiety is to look at our phones. Gosh. If you're con- this is a quote from her. If you're constantly connected, you are going to feel anxiety. Now get this mobile phone addiction is rapidly gaining acceptance because again, this is new, we're we're learning, we're still studying what phones are doing to us. Mobile phone addiction is rapidly gaining acceptance as a serious psychosocial condition. It has been identified as being regulated by the same brain circuits as in substance-based and other behavioral addictions. Wow. Parents, what happens to us is similar to what happens to most of our small kids around five to 5.30 every single day. So let's take, well let's, I won't even assume your kids are terrors at that time, I'll just assume my are because I know them. So between five and 5.30 every single day, they're hungry, they're tired, which makes them grumpy and they're going nuts. I know none of y'all's kids do that, just mine, but they're going nuts. And so every now and then we have this fantastic idea. Let's put them in front of a screen. Right? We turn the TV on. We just want 30 minutes of quiet. And how magical is it when you turn the screen on and the screaming stops? That actually happens. They stop. And they just stare at whatever Bluey or what you know. It's pretty cool, man. Bluey's great. <laughs> they just stop and they stare. Now what happens when you turn that TV off? Everything is great, right? Like they stop crying and everything goes away. It's amazing. They like shower you with love and affection and how you're the best parent in the world. None of that happens, does it? They get worse. It multiplies. Why? Because you've only delayed their needs that haven't been met. You've just delayed them and you've made them worse. If they're tired and hungry, they're now more tired and hungry and they're just more angry and they're screaming at you. This is what happens to us when we are anxious and we go to our phones to satisfy that anxiety and it doesn't do it. Our anxiety now is simply delayed. We just delayed dealing with what we needed to deal with. And sometimes it's multiplied. Now I probably didn't need to give you all these stats and figures and research. And I know that because last week when Jeremy said, hey, next week we're gonna be talking about technology and anxiety, I was in the back of the room, but I'm pretty sure I heard an audible gasp or or an awkward chuckle. I heard something. Did y'all hear it? Y'all heard, you knew, you knew, because it was like, oh man, here it comes. Why? Because you know. I don't need to give you these stats. You know what your phone is doing to you. You know, but you keep running back to them, and so do I. Okay? So, I want you to remember the quote that I began with. There is a current in the stream, and if we don't know how to swim, we shall be carried by it. I think we're being carried by it. Uh, I w- wasn't planning on saying this, but at some point I read in, in my research that, uh, you know, oftentimes there's an opt in and an opt out phase. Like for emails, for instance, there's an opt in and there's an opt out, right? The period of opting in to social media and smartphones has long passed us. We're in. So now the question is, are we willing to opt out? Or what what does that look like to have a healthy relationship moving forward? So here's what we're gonna do. This morning, I'm gonna have our ushers. Uh, They're gonna place some trash cans at the back of the room. And as we leave, you're just gonna throw your smartphones in the trash can. And then all of our problems are gonna go away, right? Unfortunately, no. I think that would be easier than the path that's actually ahead of us. If we did that, we would still likely find a way to make a mess of our lives, just like Adam and Eve, just like King David, Just like the rich young ruler, there's always another vice, another temptation, another lie from the enemy to get us to give up our eternal inheritance for a cheap, fleeting imitation. And here's the deal. I've only talked about the negative effects of smartphones, really, right? Smartphones and even social media for some of us have become a part of our work on a daily basis. I did much of my research for this sermon on my phone. I listened to podcasts and audiobooks. I took notes on my phone. Maps are built into our phone and they take us to unfamiliar places. You can show up somewhere and know exactly where you're going just because you're following a little line. That's crazy. It takes you right where you need to go. They let us stay in contact with people all across the world. Braden just mentioned the team in the check. I'm regularly calling them and FaceTiming them from across the world asking how we can pray for them, how we can serve them. It's incredible. My kids, when they can't see their grandparents, they FaceTime them, they can see them through the screen right away they warn us when bad weather is on the way they allow us to purchase needed household items like i just mentioned showing up at our house a few hours after we click a button unbelievable so for all the temptations they put before us they allow us to be wildly productive when we choose to be in ways our society has never seen so where do we go from here as followers of Jesus who have regular, real life anxieties and want to live God-glorifying lives that help carry these helpful tools called smartphones, what do we do? I'm gonna suggest the path forward. I'm gonna ask three questions, and I want, us to wrestle. I want you to wrestle with them. I want you to leave here and ask yourself these questions. I'm gonna give us some scriptures to refer to, and I, I hope this is a discussion that we keep, uh, keep coming back to moving forward. Question number one, what really controls you? I understand what I'm asking when I say this, and I, I understand that it's an aggressive question, but you have everything to gain and nothing to lose by asking this question. What is controlling you? I wanna say something briefly about the fear of the Lord and, and able to, in order to get to the heart of this question and we'll kinda come full circle, so just track with me for a second. Marshall Sagal is is an author and he wrote an article, I believe it was posted on Desiring God a couple years ago. It's titled Let Fear Deliver You From Fear. He writes, For many of us, any experience of fear feels like an enemy to be fought and freed from. And God does free us from our fears. I sought the Lord, Psalm thirty four four says, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Well, all my fears but one. Just three verses later, King David writes, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. So trusting God casts out a certain kind of fear and kindles and even commands another type of fear. You who would be free from your fears, fear the Lord. Sounds crazy, right? Like, like an oxymoron here. A significant part of maturity then is learning to not fear what we should not fear, and to increasingly, even gladly, fear the one whom we should. I know many of you are familiar with Proverbs nine ten: The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So if having an increasing knowledge of God leads to insight, and it produces a holy fear of God, the fear of God is where wisdom begins. Uh, I shared with our members recently, but this summer I worked through a book called The Voice of the Heart by Chip Dodd. And in that book, he's written a chapter on one of the core feelings that we all feel: fear. Now I've got a scale up here I, I'm going to have, have thrown up on the screens, and it, it identifies fear as one of the core feelings that we all fear, uh, feel. It's kind of hard to say that together. So the middle, the truth that we feel, is fear. When we feel fear, our heart is just saying something to us. It's communicating, "I'm afraid. I'm afraid. It's neutral. It's not good or bad, fear just is. It's just saying, hey, I'm afraid of something. I think Jeremy earlier in this sermon series used like grizzly bears. If you see a grizzly bear, hey, it's pretty natural to be afraid. That's not good or bad, it's just, hey, you're in trouble, dude, you better do something. So fear is neutral. The gift of fear when we respond appropriately is faith and wisdom. Take, for instance, um, a hot burner on a stove. An oven by itself is neutral, it's fine. When the oven is hot, faith and wisdom says, that thing is hot, you should not touch it. And if you exercise that gift, you get faith because, hey, I believe that it's hot, I didn't touch it. That's great, I'm not hurt. Now, the impairment of that is anxiety and ultimately control. That I wanna control my situation so much that my fears are really controlling me in a negative way and so I'm gonna do everything I can to not touch the burner, So I'm gonna unplug it from the wall, I'm gonna wrap it in bubble wrap, I'm gonna put a massive sign on the front that says, do not turn on oven, and we're never gonna use it. That is what control does when anxiety overcomes us, okay? Now, that was a long way to say that fear is not bad in itself, but fear's gift can be wisdom. Now, we could talk about the fear of the Lord for an entire sermon series, but let this brief explanation set us up for 2 Corinthians 5, okay? Let's start reading in verse nine. So whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, he's admitting we know the fear of the Lord. Knowing this, we persuade others. But what we are, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us So that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. But if we are in our right mind, it's for you. Now here it is. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded what? That one has died for all, therefore we've all died. And he died for all that those who might live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul is openly admitting, knowing that his readers are going to affirm what he's saying, that he is controlled by the love of Christ. Why? Because everything that he's heard and seen and believed to be true about Jesus, it's not some fairy tale. He's believed that it's actually true. Therefore, the love of Christ controls him. Jesus has died, therefore all have died. and He died for all that those who live would no longer do it for themselves, but for their sake he died and was raised, for our sake for your sake, for my sake. This changes everything, and Paul knew it. From now on, this is verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. This is us. If you follow Jesus, this is your story. You aren't who you were. Knowledge of God has led to the fear of the Lord, which has led to now we are controlled by the love of Christ, you get my reasoning now? Now we are controlled by the love of Christ, why? Because we believe the gospel to be true. We believe that everything Jesus has said and done, all that we've learned, it's not some made up fairy tale. It is true, which is why every single week, verse 20, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we become the righteousness of God. In Jesus, you are the very righteousness of God. Now, let me ask again. What controls you? Is it the love of Christ flowing out of all these things, coming from the fear of the Lord, understanding that all he said is true, Therefore, the love of Christ controls us. Or in functionality, are we actually controlled by our devices? Are we actually controlled by what our public image, whatever? That in anxiety, we run to these things. Are we controlled by that? If you do nothing else but spend time in this question and you come to the truth of it, I've won today. That's, that's it. I've got more questions, but I want you to spend time with this one. Question number two. Are you attempting to serve two masters? Jesus warned his followers that they could not have a divided heart, attempting to serve both God and money. He argued by saying, you're gonna love one and you're gonna hate the other. Now, we've spent a whole lot of time in Matthew 6 in this sermon series, talking about the birds and the flowers. This God and money passage comes right before what we talk about in Matthew 6 regarding anxiety. And get this, in the anxiety passage, it begins with a therefore, which... We get to ask, hey, what is it there for, guys, right? you're not, not, it's not funny today, okay. You can't serve God in money. Your heart is where your treasure is. Therefore, don't be anxious about your life. Have faith in God that he is going to care for you. Seek first his kingdom, and everything else is going to fall into place. Trust him. So I'm gonna make the same argument from this principle with our phones running to our screens when we feel anxious. You cannot serve God and make much of you online. I'm gonna say that again. You cannot serve God and make much of you online. You cannot serve God and be a slave to your phone. You cannot serve God and run to your phone when you're anxious, and yet we do it all the time. Because you can't serve, here's the reasoning. Because you can't serve both God in your image, God in your phone, God and whatever it is you run to online to fix you, therefore, don't be anxious about your life. Because those things fail you, therefore, trust God. Don't be anxious about your life, whether people will like you or you're relevant or you run to it just to numb out and hide your anxiety. Look at the birds. That seems crazy, right? Like, don't do all these things, look at the birds. But what is he telling us? If I'm going to care for these things, I'm going to care for you. If I care for the flowers, I'm going to care for you. Have faith in Jesus, friends, who died for all, that those who might live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, because you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old you has passed away, the new has come. For your sake, he made Jesus to be sin on your behalf, who knew no sin, so that you would be the righteousness of God, not slaves to your screens. You were created for more. Now question three, this is where it gets super practical. Do you have boundaries around your devices and social media usage? Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. If you have no walls, no boundaries between you and your phone, or you and social media, or you and whatever, don't be surprised when you're on them all the time. You shouldn't be surprised. It's, if it's easy to get to, you're going to go to it, okay? Don't be surprised. Don't be like, oh man, six, eight hours a day. I mean, that, they're, they're, if there are no boundaries, and again, me too, don't be throwing stone. Stum- hey, me too, but we should not be surprised if there are no boundaries, that is what these things were created for, right? Our phones, social media, they are designed to get you coming back. They're designed to get you to crave them, to be your treasure so that you want more and more and more of them. So if you're with me to this point, you're like, all right, okay, I'm done. I'm the worst, I've done all this stuff, I wanna run to Jesus, I wanna repent, I wanna turn from these things, what are some helpful guidelines? That's the rest of our time this morning, okay? I want you to understand that first, you're creating new habits. And we talked about this briefly uh, a few weeks ago. Just like if you're exercising for the first time in months or years, if you're dieting for the first time in months or years, it's gonna be hard. You're gonna fail. You're gonna mess up. But get back up and keep trying. Don't just stop trying. Uh, I, I really like Jeremy's helpful picture about creating new habits a few weeks ago. It's like driving through a grassy field that's never been driven through. The first time you drive through it, the grass is gonna briefly go over and it's gonna come back up. Do that a few more times and the grass is gonna eventually bend over and lay down. You do that a few more times, you keep doing this path, eventually the grass is gonna lay down and it's gonna die. You do that after a rain and now you've got ruts created so that whenever that dries, now when you're going through those ruts, it's going to be hard to get out of those ruts because your habit has been formed, okay? So, don't feel bad when you're driving through the grassy field and you start swerving a little bit and you run back to your phone or whatever. It's going to happen. That should be expected. Find your path again and keep going. First and most importantly, I'm gonna encourage you to do this with someone else. Find a friend, find someone in your gospel community and your discipleship group, a spouse, a roommate. Do this together. Have accountability. You are, you, are, you are going to fail if you try this alone. You are. Find someone to do it with you. I'm gonna encourage you to fast from your phone. This week, week, why don't you just take inventory? For the moments that you feel anxious and you you recognize it in the moment, I want you to do inventory in that moment and say, what am I hoping to satisfy this craving? What am I running to? And if you instinctively run to your phone, let that be a warning light, okay? Just take inventory this week and identify those things that you're running to to appease your anxiety? And, and what, what are you hoping to find? Like if we go to the internet, like are we hoping that more information will satisfy my anxiety? Am I hoping that if someone else posts this or that, like that's gonna satisfy my anxiety? Am I just really hoping to be numb and go like spend hours and hours on fantasy football or Pinterest or whatever to satisfy my anxiety? Like think of, take that to its end and say, this isn't actually gonna work, okay? Inventory first. I'm gonna encourage you to commit to memory verses like 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's true, he cares for you. Memorize that. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Uh, I'll start reading in verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way, yet he's without sin. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. I'm gonna encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself. I think we actually have this list up there. Can you throw that list up now? Preach the gospel to yourself. When you are weak, then he is strong. Boast in that, boast in that. I've shared this before, but Andy Crouch's book on the TechWise family, if you you are a parent and you wanna learn how to implement these things in your family, I encourage you to pick up the TechWise family, but his his thing that he encourages everyone to practice is abstain from screens for one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. I would encourage you to try that. Do not take your phone to bed. Do not do it. Buy an actual alarm clock. Have you seen an alarm clock? It's crazy. It's this new invention that you set the time and it wakes you up when you wanna be woken up. It's, that's all it does. It doesn't do anything else. Keep your phones away from your bed and get an actual alarm clock. And on top of that, I promise you're gonna sleep better. That's a guarantee from Pastor J. okay? You're going to sleep better if your phone is not right beside your bed. Commit to be in the word or in prayer each morning before you touch your phone. Do not touch or look at your phone until you've spent some time, just anytime in prayer or Bible reading. I'm gonna encourage you to intentionally leave it behind when you go places, the audacity of me, right? To have an iPhone and not take it everywhere. Leave it behind when you go have a meeting with someone, when you go to a friend's house, when you have a lunch meeting or whatever. You don't always have to have it on you. Why has it become this third arm that I just have to have everywhere, growing out of me? You don't. Leave it behind on purpose. I'm gonna encourage some of you, this one, may, this one may be really tough. Delete social media apps from your phone and only check it from a computer. Um, I, I don't think I shared this, but 99% of people worldwide look at social media from their phones. 99%. Why? Because it's so easy. It's your third arm, it's right there, I'm gonna pull it out, let's look at it anywhere we're gonna go. If you commit to delete them from your phone, don't even let yourself log in, and you have to check it from a computer. You're making it difficult on yourself, which is probably a good thing, right? So don't look at them from your phone. I'm gonna encourage you to set limits. So I'm assuming other devices have this. I have an iPhone, but on, on uh, the iPhone, you can, you can set up screen time or downtime. I think it's called downtime. Every single day, you can set it to turn off the majority of your apps. You can limit people who contact you for a certain time each day. So I've recently been trying this from five to 6.30 every single day. My phone essentially shuts down. Now there's a handful of people that can get through to me, my family, certainly Brooke, Think people that you may need to be in contact with, they can get through. The rest of y'all jokers, I see a little red dot, but I can't read what you say. It's awesome. If you call me, it declines it. And then at 6.30, it's like, oh, so-and-so called me. I'll check that out. It is so freeing. I've done it all day on Fridays now too. Some of y'all were like reaching out to me on Friday. Sorry, guys, but it's great, I'm not really sorry. It's unbelievable, I would encourage you guys to do this. Now, if you would say, hey, I'm too weak, I can't do that, because what happens is if you, let's just say you love going on Instagram, okay? You can set a 15 minute each day limit on Instagram. Well, you can go on the iPhone, you can click like, oh, I actually want one more minute, right? And then after you do that a couple times, it goes away, and then it's like, you want 15 minutes? Okay, I'll take 15 minutes. And it's like, well, that's not enough. I'm I'm just gonna ignore that forever. So the rest of the day you have Instagram and you're weak, right? Me too. So what you can do is to outsmart yourself is go to someone you trust, spouse, friend, roommate. You can give them your device and they can set a passcode for the limit on that app so only they know the passcode. So it keeps you out of Instagram and only so-and-so next to you has the four-digit code. So if it's like 4767, seven, whatever, da-da-da-da. If you try to log in, it tells whoever that you tried to log in and had failed attempts it keeps you from it if you're weak there is nothing wrong with giving someone else the passcode until you develop new habits and new ruts in your life i'd encourage you to do that i'd encourage you to turn your notifications off do you really need to be notified for every group me for every comment on your post for every world event for every picture that your kids teach your posts for every goal that Messi scores for every time that aaron Rodgers tears his achilles he's only done that once but like you get what i'm saying You don't need to be notified for everything. Our phone is constantly saying, hey, look at me, look at me, red dots, hello, look at me. You can turn them all off. You can turn off notifications for text messages. You can set up a time every single day. Let's just say it's your lunch hour from 12 to one. Every single day, you can go check your text messages and you can see, oh, I got like 12 texts here. I'm gonna go respond to these people. The rest of the day, no red dot. You can turn all of those off. The reason I spent most of my time talking about desire and our will in this sermon is because that matters more than anything. You can you can limit your screen use and social media use if you want to. Do you want to? If you think none of these will work, <laughs> this is a little more extreme, you can actually go buy a dumb phone. Oh, I have it there, yeah. They make dumb phones. Now, I don't... Do they, I don't know if they call them dumb phones. They call them dumb phones. The one that I'm familiar with, it's called Light Phone, okay? And on the Light Phone, it actually does have internet access. It has a map, a calendar. Uh, you can text and call, obviously, which sometimes we're like, do I even call or text from my phone? I do everything else on my phone. Uh, you can listen to podcasts, and there may be one or two other things, and that's it. It is legitimately the essentials of a phone, If you think you are too weak to do all these other things, but you're serious about wanting to have control of your phone rather than it controlling you, go look into it, go buy you a dumb phone. Now, let me say one thing to those, I'll wrap up here very soon. Let me say one thing to those of you in the room who are like, man, I I don't think I'm addicted to my phone. I don't think I'm, I don't even have social media accounts, so I'm not addicted to social media. Man, blessings on y'all, but unfortunately, I think you are the unicorn in the room this morning. I'm making a lot of assumptions of a lot of us, but I think you are the unicorn. So I wanna say to you that I know you exist, and we're all seeking ultimately to be like you. (laughs) I want you to seek to be a peaceful presence to the rest of us, and especially those who don't know Jesus and who are controlled by these things. You may be the only peaceful presence in their lives. You may be the only person that will look them in the eye in a conversation Ignore your device and communicate to them with everything, your expressions and everything. You matter, okay? So if that is you, continue to be the peaceful presence that you are to us and to those around you. And that may be what being a missionary looks like in the technology age. Looking people in the eye, ignoring your phone, and pointing them to Jesus. That sounds crazy, but I think that's where we are. Okay. I can't tell you, I'm, I'm wrapping up here, sorry. I can't tell you how many times I was interrupted preparing for this sermon with the pull to go back and check whatever, fantasy football, whatever, email, whatever, notifications from some of y'all, like text and phone calls from some of y'all. And it's not your fault, but like I'm being interrupted because I let myself be interrupted. And then imagine the guilt I feel preparing this sermon to tell you guys to have better handle on your devices when I'm controlled by my own, okay? So if you're feeling guilt right now in this moment, I need you to know, me too, me too. Now, collectively, I need you to hear this louder than anything else. Run to Jesus. Jesus died for your past sin and the impulse to reach in your pockets right now when you know you shouldn't. He died for that too. Run to Jesus, receive his grace and mercy and let it wash over you. In your weakness, know that when you are weak, he is strong. Now, I'm gonna end with this quote by John Piper because I, I really don't believe, some people would say like, yeah, let's throw our phones away, We're, let's go live as monks, let's, let's do the deal. I don't believe that is the answer. So there is a balance we have to pursue, Right? And so this quote from from John Piper helps us understand this balance, and I want us to ponder on this as we close. He says this, smartphones are dangerous, like marriage and music and fine cuisine, anything else that can become an idol. They're also very useful, like guns and razor blades and medicinal cannabis, or lots of other things that can ruin your life. I personally like marriage very much, and I use a razor blade every day. I was on board, this is still him writing, within a year of the iPhone's release. Calling, texting, keeping up with the news, playing Scrabble with my wife, and reading my Bible, saving verses, memorizing on the go. For all the abuses and all the devastation, of distraction, wasted hours, narcissistic, self-promotion, and pornographic degradation, I see see the computer and smartphone as gifts from God, like papyrus and the codex and paper and the printing press. If you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because your sins are forgiven through Jesus, then your smartphone becomes a kind of friendly pack mule on the way to heaven. Mules are not kept for their good looks. They just get the job done. The job is not to impress anybody. The job is to make much of Christ and love people. That is why we were created. So don't waste time grooming your mule. Make him bear the weight of a thousand works of love. Make him tread the heights with you in the mountains of worship. Friends, I pray that your smartphone and mine serves us as tools on the way to heaven, rather than a treasure that attempts to steal our souls. In your anxiety this week, you are going to feel anxiety this week at times. Run to God in prayer before anything else, the one who is able to truly meet us in it and satisfy our restless hearts.